Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry with you here this afternoon. We're now pleased to go to our Auburn Bank phone line, and even though it is not football season, we still have a lot to talk about with Mr. Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire. Help Roto-Wire with all of your fantasy needs, including some fantasy baseball, which we'll get to in just a second. But, Joe, the time is greatly appreciated. Uh, appreciate you being on. And, and still, even though we're not in the midst of the fantasy season or the football season, this is still busy time of the year with all that you do at Roto-Wire and with the NFL draft coming up. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially um, the start of fantasy football season for us. At least in the industry, you have uh, places like Underdog doing uh, their $5 million or $3 million best ball tournaments and a lot of other platforms like that. You know, Worldwide does a lot of gambling stuff, too, so NFL Draft actually is fantastic from the prop bet perspective. It, it really is go time, especially by the end of Saturday when all the draft picks are done and you have the undrafted free agent signing with teams. Really, from that point forward, um, it is football season for us. Obviously, you got basketball, uh, still to play off some baseball, certainly, too, so plenty of things. Um, from a roadwire perspective that we're covering, but yeah, for me, it's 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 go time starting tomorrow. So, like, I guess I was going to start baseball, but I'll lead into this this fantasy NFL conversation. Like, are there any guys that like? I don't know how I should frame this, but any guys, position guys that that go in the draft that like you're going to really change the value of them, and, and maybe this is just more of a quarterback question, but you're going to change the value of them for the fantasy season based off which organization they end up in. I, I take it it has a, a decent amount to do with their value when it comes to how they're going to be ranked come the fall. No, 100%. And I would say that's the case every single year, but um, I don't I don't know if unprecedented is the right word, so I want to make sure that when using that it applies, but this feels like one of the most tumultuous pre-NFL draft periods that we've had in regards to having no idea really what picks are going to happen. I mean, it seemed like Bryce Young was a stone-cold lock, lock to be number one overall, and then you had Will Levis yesterday kind of rise up the ranks. And I think it still is Bryce Young at number one, but even when you're debating that position, it's, it is kind of incredible to say, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with a lot of these rookies. And really from a fantasy perspective, we're talking either dynasty leagues or only drafting these rookies or redraft formats where you're incorporating them to all the other rankings and quarterback positions and yada, 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 uh, throughout the season. And, and that one, the second one, there's still time to kind of work it up and, and figure out what the projections look like and what's overall strategy that you'll be using, especially in the best ball formats, like I mentioned, for underdog or just season-long leagues like we'll be talking about when we get close to August. Um, but I, I think there really is uh, a dramatic change depending on which teams are drafting which players and what's the outlook. And I think for a lot of people, B. John Robinson is going to be the top one, either in dynasty formats where he could go number one overall among rookies, certainly in a non-superflex league, or even in redraft, where I've been saying since December of last year that I think B. John Robinson, if it goes to the right team, is going to be a first-round pick in redraft leagues. His landing spot, which definitely seems tumultuous at this point, is going to be one of the most talked about come tomorrow. Uh, and I do believe he will be a first-round pick, along with Jameer Gibbs, who I, I think could also make a case be a very early selection even in a redraft format so there's a lot of things that are, are changing and certainly with the different de- destinations for the running backs and quarterbacks i agree with you um it'll be it'll be fun to watch tomorrow and uh, we were actually just talking a little bit about Bijan before uh we had you on but we will get to more football here in just a moment do want to hit you with a couple baseball fantasy questions uh, uh our our resident fantasy baseball players unfortunately well not unfortunately but he's on a honeymoon right now so he is not here he took otani number one overall Se- seemed fair 
Uh, <laughs> Otani's pretty good at this thing. But I, I want to ask you a general question. When you're managing a, a fantasy baseball team, because we have these conversations with the real teams too, how big of a sample size do you need to start to wave the white flag on someone? Obviously, Braves fans are going through it. Marcel Zuna hitting under oh, 100 yeah. still. Oof, like I, I know there's degrees to it, but like how, how big of, of a sample size do you want before you start to drastically alter your fantasy lineup? I think it really applies to most because I do fantasy baseball and football and basketball, and it really is that quarter season mark. Maybe not week four per se in NFL, but you know the general idea. And I think we're we're creeping closer to that point for the baseball season, but I'm not ready to make significant changes yet, especially if I'm in a rotisserie league where you're just kind of accumulating points throughout the season and where you finish in the standings is the overall point total you get. It's a weekly matchup kind of game. It's it's a little bit different strategy wise. I. It is about the quarter of the season, and it also depends on um, like what level of investment you have in the player. Obviously, if you have somebody going, you know, uh, second, third, fourth round, and they aren't batting or uh, pitching to the level that you're expecting them to, you you can maybe afford. I think almost only mentally, right, to to afford to make it through that point and wait. But if it's your last round selection or somebody else like that, and you're turning to the bench, especially this year when I think a lot of fantasy baseball uh, experts were anticipating speed being a factor with the new rule changes, but not to this level. Um, I, I think being aggressive on that latter half of your roster is really key. Um, and I feel like baseball, more than any other fantasy sport, you can identify and pick guys that are uh, waiver wire fodder to begin the season that will be in your starting lineup or guys you consider in your starting lineup from, from the very first couple weeks of the season. So being mindful of where your weaknesses on the roster are, what it looks like for, throughout the first couple weeks, and then being willing to cut ties and even some of your bigger players as you approach that, um, you know, mid-May mark, I think is kind of the, the big key for, for fantasy baseball in that regard. Some of the rule changes this uh, this winter have impacted the way we've started to see the game play a little bit. We've seen a lot more singles on the ground with the no shift, but we've also seen a lot more stolen bases early. How are guys that can run? How much value are they getting increased with with this newfound ability to? throw it back to the 90s and start running almost every game now. Yeah, I don't even know if it's so much of the guys that can run. You were already projecting that, and I think a lot of people have been operating, at least pre-drafts, um, the, the, the couple weeks before that, okay, I'm going to get X player because I know he's going to have uh, the speed part guaranteed. And it's almost like that was diminished value, even though they're going to be above the projection level total for steals too. It's because there's so many people in that latter half of the draft, and it's why I always preach flexibility uh, frequently I'm in drafts, I'm looking for guys with multiple positional eligibility to give myself flexibility in the lineups. It's for that exact reason that you can kind of fit in whatever spots you need to. And in this case, I think identifying the speed factor and how many people are seriously able to have so many stolen bases in a given part, it, it's incredible. It really is kind of crazy to see the speed rise. And I agree with you. I, I like having that. I, that's, that's a nice factor. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm shocked by it as well, too. I, I never really anticipated this level of speed across the board, not just the top-end guys, but even people in middle rounds and later where you're just hoping that's going to be their only facet. Well, it turns out they can do a whole lot more. And I, that, that's good for fantasy baseball, having that stolen base category um, affected by more than just one or two spots. But if you invest a high draft pick in somebody specifically for that speed angle, I think you're hurting right now because there are so many players in so many positions uh, that are providing that you weren't anticipating uh, entering the season. Shifting back to uh, fantasy football, um, 
So Bijan Robinson, and we'll we'll just kind of start off with this. He's been projected to go um, to the Falcons, kind of in, in in some mock drafts, as well as the Eagles, and also the Chargers, maybe trading up and making a move or waiting to get him uh, with their first round pick. Of those three teams, uh, situationally, maybe where you draft them, uh, where you draft him in a in a um, a fantasy football draft, uh, what do you think would be the best spot for him to really thrive and be successful? Yeah, I think you have to say the Eagles, and, and I agree with you. We talked about this in the podcast last week. Wednesday, um, you could listen to that anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're aware NFL podcast, that if Bijan goes to the Eagles, it is a little bit of a cheat code in the essence. And I don't like Rashad Penny, who they signed kind of under the radar right. um, from the Eagles, and they still have Kenny Gamewell, who's been um, obviously great in the postseason, and Boston Scott, who is specifically good against the, the Giants. But if Bijan Robinson is there, you're able to capitalize on every part of Bijan Robinson as a player. The runner, obviously, one of the best ones. Um, certainly, I don't know what generational per se, but really since Saquon Barkley, we haven't seen a guy um, that has been this highly touted and has kept that level really throughout his entire collegiate career. But the receiving aspect, too, that Bijan Robinson is certainly a good pass-catching running back, too. That would fit very well um, in the Eagles scheme. But by no means do I think the Falcons would be a bad landing spot either. Now, I do think he would share time with Tyler Algier, and there's also the concern that the Falcons' offense is a little bit more rudimentary than the Eagles in the sense that they're running the ball so frequently and probably have read options um, to a less efficient standpoint than the Eagles would be with Jalen Hurts. Uh, but I, I still think Bijan Robinson in that in that system, in that situation, would be completely effective as well. Now, do you, do you take him at pick eight or whatever the Falcons are? That's a little bit tougher. But if he's as good as a player as many people have projected for the past couple of years, I can easily see the Falcons doing that. I can see the Eagles doing that. Um, the Chargers be third. I, I think they're going to end up keeping Austin Eckler, which is kind of the conundrum with this. Like, can you have B. John Robinson and Eckler? My answer is yes. Um, I, I mean, they had Joshua <laughs> Kelly taking effective snacks, uh, effective snaps last year. I mean, if B. John Robinson is in that role, that's going to be incredible, and he might be like the, the first player to have over a thousand yards on uh, only a hundred carries or something. Like, it's going to be nuts, uh, but. I think the, the value of that pick for the Chargers would be, well, we can safely let Austin Eckler go next year or find a draft capital midseason for him at, at that point, too, kind of like how the, the Panthers did with the Christian McCaffrey. So I don't, I don't anticipate the Chargers take uh, B. John Robinson. I, I, there's been popular speculation it's either tight end or running back. Um, it's kind of a splashy pick, and I just I don't really go for that. But really, the Eagles and Falcons, I, I could completely see taking, the, uh, taking him very early on. We're talking with Joe Bartle from Roto Wire, and uh, Joe, one thing we talked about early in the show was uh, this S two cognitive test that these guys have been playing, or have been taking, and uh, it seems like CJ Stroud may have slipped on some boards um, just because he didn't do well on this test. How how much do these uh, how much do GMs and owners and, and head coaches and, and draft experts? I mean, how how much do they actually look at at the success of these cognitive tests for these players? Oh, I think they look at it a lot. I think actually um, it, it is a determining factor on whether they are selecting a player or not. My answer is, should it be? You know, I, I don't know if, that's, if that should be as big of a piece of a puzzle as it seems to be, and it's very easy to point out all the successful quarterbacks and how high their scores have been, and I just think this is too small of a sample size. Now, um, S2 scores have been around a long time, and I, I think people – hear a cognitive score and they immediately think of it like the Wonderlick and it's like, no, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way at all. It's more like a reaction time thing uh, and quick decision-making process. And theoretically, the test 
is meant or can identify if somebody's not trying, which is kind of the comments that C.J. Stroud seemed to make is that, oh, I wasn't really interested in the test. I wasn't really caring too much. Theoretically, it's supposed to help you identify um, if somebody is or is not trying and, and you'd have different results uh, if that was the case. I don't know. And I, I don't think, to be clear, it should be as big of a factor. Just because you have uh, a certain subsection of good quarterbacks high in that list doesn't mean that you can't have somebody lower still be successful, too. So it feels like a relatively new data point. I know it's been around a long time, um, and they're certainly getting an extreme amount of publicity, which I think is very convenient this season as well, too. But this was primarily a tool used for baseball, which was, which is much more sabermetric focused. And I don't know if you can say the same thing um, for football. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, Stroud, obviously lower, but a guy like Will Levis, who I, I'm like completely out on, for him to be as high in that test score as he is, that will really be the bigger case point for me if he is going to be a successful quarterback uh, and whether or not these scores matter. So I, I have never um, thought about the S2 scores before. Clearly, NFL teams have been and are upset that uh, this has been revealed because it's going to impact them, I think, negatively. But I, I just don't feel like it should be as big a piece of the puzzle as it feels like it has been over the past two weeks of uh, NFL draft conversation. Right. And, and now leading into that, uh, you know, with Will Levis, now us being here in SEC country, we've seen a lot of Will Levis, and, and I think most of us in the studio aren't really sold on him, but it seems like a lot of teams are. And now you may even see him get drafted higher than a guy like C.J. Stroud. And when you really think about it, you're like, I think C.J. Stroud's probably the better quarterback. I, but, I mean, what are your thoughts on Will Levis versus a C.J. Stroud? And what are teams seeing so much in Will Levis that maybe us in the studio are missing out on? Yeah, um, I think the, the biggest question is, do you think Will Levis was good because of Wandale Robinson, or was he uh, ineffective because the offense and, and – the offense line in particular was so bad last year. Like, if you can answer that question confidently, that's the biggest part for me. I don't I, like Wondell Robinson was so key to success the year before, and I thought I read somewhere like a forty-seven percent target share or something like that effect. Like that, that Man. just is not that can't be as high of a number for one player. Either it means Wondell Robinson is one of the best receivers of all time, and Will <laughs> Levis was just very good at identifying. And Wondell might be. I actually, I liked him a lot last year, but not not to that level or. This S2 score, which is supposed to identify your action time and decision-making process, is not as good because he was literally only doing it for one player. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked by that stuff, and, and I really try to take into account the year before his production as well as what happened this year and, and kind of converse what I'm seeing on tape. I, I, the NFL teams see a big-body guy who has a strong arm, who's mobile, and you're like, oh, okay, well, what happens if Ben Roethlisberger uh, ran a 4-7? That's Will Levis. And... That's attractive, I think, certainly for a, a NFL mindset that is stuck in the 1990s and later who wants that big, tall guy and uh, you know wishes their son could grow up to be. That's the type of NFL GM that's interested in Will Levis, and that's just not me. Like I, I can look at the film and be like, this does not look like a first-round quarterback, much less top five. Um, and I get the intangible stuff is there, and you really can't quantify that, which is much more difficult in my someone like Stroud, who does look better on tape and, and seems like the better quarterback by far. and Yeah, he's got so many great weapons, but he he also performed well with those weapons. It feels like a no-brainer to me. Uh, and I think the intangibles are, are being weighed to the extent that that's where you see levels higher than Stroud and what they think they can get him to be. I, I just, uh, I've seen so many NFL regimes fail in this exact same process, and frankly, we've seen it over the past couple of years, uh, right, with 
Zach Wilson, most notably, were doing the same thing. Oh, we're talking ourselves a new guy that wasn't all that productive. And Wilson was way more productive than Levis. So I, I'm, I'm concerned. I would say that. I'm very concerned for anyone who's taking Will Levis in the top five if that does end up happening. Joe, we'll close with this, and you know what's coming. How will you remember the time of Aaron Rodgers as a Green Bay Packer? Oh, uh, a lot of really good memories. Uh, I'm happy this relationship ended slightly better than the one with Brett Favre. Uh, not that either one was perfect by any means. I, I uh, I'm wishing Rodgers well uh, in New York. I think that they will be a playoff team. I do not think they'll win the Super Bowl, but I think they'll be a playoff team. Uh, and I, I want an opportunity for Rodgers' legacy to grow, even if that means it's away from the Packers. So I, I have lots of fond moments. I will always remember the throw to beat the Cowboys in the playoffs with Jared Cook at the sideline. That is going to be, in my mind, one of the best throws of all time. And I can rattle off four or five or six different throws, Hail Marys, whatever else, that Rodgers had throughout his career that, uh, you know, I, I could be 90 on, uh, on, on my deathbed and be like, oh, yeah, I, I remember when this happened or I was there for this. And it's one of the first athletes that I can recall where I've ever felt that way. Um, and certainly from a Wisconsin sports perspective, uh, I just have a lot of admiration for Aaron Rodgers, the player, and a lot of fond memories for him. And I'll, I'll always remember that, even with the drama over the past couple of years and the Packers probably choosing to make this decision too late. They had that opportunity last year with the Broncos and I think failed, even though this trade uh, theoretically worked out well for them. I will have lots of fond memories of Aaron Rodgers. And I hope I hope most Packer fans out there are the same way. He's Joe Bartle of Rotowire joining us today on Sports Call. Joe, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. I know things start to ramp up here uh, for you, but we uh, appreciate you taking the time out of the day to talk to us. Uh, we hope the draft's a lot of fun tomorrow night, and we'll talk again down the line. Yeah, hopefully a uh, quick plug, at least from my perspective, JB Fantasy Sports on Twitter. I'm going to have lots of draft coverage. I already have my draft props article up. Uh, day two, Friday, we'll have all the breakdown skill position guys and what their fancy value will be, and, and lots more to come as well. I'll be on a live draft show Thursday night uh, talking about the first round, too. So, so plenty of coverage on my angle if you're into that, and uh, hopefully SEC country is represented well in the first round. Absolutely. A lot to look forward to at Roto-Wire, and like, uh, like you said, at JB Fantasy Sports. Joe, time's greatly appreciated. Again, we'll talk to you down the line. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me on. That is Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire here on this edition of sports call we are very much out of time here for our number two when we come back again we'll start to get pivot towards wacky wednesday uh, as that is coming up on this uh this beautiful wednesday again with tom peavy and cam berry i'm ryan lavoy we'll take a quick timeout. we'll be back with wacky wednesday after this